Welcome to New Life Bible Church, and thank you for joining us. Every week, listen to practical teaching of God's Word you can apply to your life as you live out your faith every day. Our vision at New Life is that you may know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Here's this week's message from New Life Bible Church. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. Never, 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 I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. For your word, I just pray now, Father, that as we deliver this word, that it will change us and we will never be the same. Lord, as we get, as I believe these are marching orders, Lord, this morning. And as uh, we hear these marching orders, that we, Lord, would be motivated to do what you've called us to do, Father. I pray, Lord, as it happened with Peter when he preached the word, the Holy Spirit came upon all that hurt him. I pray, Lord, that as I preach the word this morning, that the Holy Spirit would come upon all that hear it, Lord. And I ask you, Lord, I ask you to speak through me and let it be your words, not my own. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. So I've had this message in my heart for a while, and it's kind of the beginning. It's not really a series but it's, uh, 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 I'm going to do like two or three around the same topic. And uh, today it's called the Assembly of One. And uh, you'll see in a minute what that means. But uh, as I was praying this morning and last night, uh, especially this morning about the Word, and uh, you know, I, I believe, I know that the Lord gave me this Word for this time at this moment. And there's a scripture that says that we would reap a basket of summer fruit. And we're right at the beginning of the summer, and uh, summer's usually a time when the church uh, tends to uh, be empty. There's not as many people. People go on vacation. Um, usually the church during the summer uh, 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 has to prepare all year long for summertime financially because uh, during the summer the finances go down. I want to let you know that as I sit around with other pastors and in round tables and things like that and they share how they prepare, and we do, we have a, an emergency fund and, and you know, we, we do uh, most of what Dave Ramsey tells us to do. Um, that's not bad. It just means that you know he doesn't have all the truth. There's other people out there that know how to handle finances, and so you know you gather the information that you need. But uh, so we we do that here, and we prepare for the summer, and we sit in roundtables, and I hear, oh man, the summer this, and you know people usually, and I'm like, we don't have that issue. In fact, sometimes during the summer we collect more over those three months than we do the rest of the year. So they say, you know, harvest season starts after the summer when we head into the fall and uh, churches grow right before the, the Thanksgiving and holiday seasons come in. Uh, the churches usually grow during that time. But in our case, we haven't had that, that we haven't been affected by that uh, statistic, if you want to call it that. So the Lord's been really uh, uh, awesome with us. But as I tell you that, I want you to know that when we pray, usually as pastors, we want God to give us the message that makes you feel good. How many of you like a feel-good message, right? The message that talks about you being a conqueror, right? A message that builds up your faith 
and I hop and jump around here and I get excited about the word and right and then we pray and the Holy Spirit moves and people cry and the hair on the back of your neck sticks up and and all that happens right it's awesome when that happens but I was praying this morning I said Lord how do I explain uh, uh, my purpose for being or the purpose for a shepherd or a pastor to deliver different messages and this is what I saw. It was an image in my head, and uh, this is what I saw. I saw a bunch of restaurants all together near each other, an Italian restaurant, an American restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, a Cuban restaurant, of course, because in my head, you know, that's the one you go to, but, um, you know, in, in a Japanese restaurant. I love Asian food, right? And they're all, they're all close to each other, and people go there, and you get to choose, kind of like a food court. Right? And you go there and you get, so if you go with a group of people, everyone can eat whatever they want. You're not kind of stuck. Right? You get to eat. But then in the midst of all those, there's one place that sells ice cream and cookies and brownies and flan and, right? and tres leche. And, right? There's one little place that serves. So even though you eat at all these other restaurants, you always go to the ice cream shop. Everyone ends up there. And we all love the ice cream shop. But we have a need for everything else. You can't live on ice cream. Right. I tried. <laughs> right? It doesn't it no work. Right? You can't live on ice cream. So you can't always deliver an ice cream message. Right. Sometimes the message convicts. Sometimes the message uh, comforts. Sometimes the message lifts you up. And sometimes the message gives you marching orders, as I'm calling it this morning. So over the next two weeks, I want to I minister a word on the harvest, on what our responsibility is and how the church needs to behave and act and, and, and what attitude should we have as a church uh, when it comes to the lost. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Assembly of one. So we're going to go to John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Uh, this story may be familiar to some of you. And, um, and we'll, you'll see as we read through it, and we're going to give you some uh, explanation as to what's happening here. But uh, John 8, uh, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. Everybody say, into the temple. Into the temple. And all the people, people came to him, and he sat down and taught them, the people. Then... The scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. These scribes and Pharisees caught her in the very act. That means they saw something they should not have been looking at. I'll let you sit there for a minute. Verse 5. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us. Here's the fair. Here they go. Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Did not hear. It's the only thing I'm going to say about this. 
no one knows what he wrote. I don't care how much of a theologian you are. Nowhere does it explain what he wrote in the ground. There's no words. There's no fish sign. There's no nothing. So there's, nobody knows what he did. The purpose was for that was for him to ignore what they were trying to do to him. Imagine you're talking to somebody and they just, they kind of ignore you. We do that with our phones. So if he had a phone, he would have, that's what he would have done. He would have pulled up his phone. Seven. So when they continued asking him, he finally raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And, right? Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left, what? Alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I've read this many times before, and, and you, know, you kind of go through there and you remove the parts that seem to not have much importance. Everything that's written in the Bible is, is important. But when you picture it and you imagine it in your mind, you're kind of limited by your own knowledge of what's happening. And I've read this many times, and these last few times that I've read it, the Lord has really revealed some things. So he gathers, and I always think that Jesus was like outside somewhere, like out in the street, or maybe in a park, or right, because he's drawing in the sand. And in some cases, when they do these movies where they, this, uh, this, they're outside somewhere. But that's not what it says. It says they were in the temple. So he's in the temple. In the outer court, but still part of the temple. is as if we set up a tent out in the parking lot and we all sat out there. We'd still be at church, right? So he's set up in the temple and he's riding in the sand now because he's ignoring them. So he's set up in the temple and people, it says people gathered, just regular old people, to hear him teach. So he's got people there. Now the scribes and Pharisees show up with this woman that was caught in adultery my question is, how long did they stand there and look? Because she was caught in the very act. And then they took her, and I'm thinking, well, it takes two to tango, right? They should have brought them both and put them there, but they only brought the woman and put her there before Jesus and began to accuse her and asked, with stones in their hands already. So they didn't just show up to church and then decide, oh, they premeditated that they were going to stone this woman to death because they already had their stones with them. So scribes. The word scribes is the word grammatius. 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 And it comes from the root word gramma, which, where we get our word grammar, Right? It means this, a man learned in the Mosaic law and in sacred writings, an interpreter 
and a teacher, all about the law, Mosaic law. The Pharisees is Pharisaeos, means, listen, to separate good and evil. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Those words, good and evil. When they ate from the forbidden fruit, they got the knowledge of good and evil, which was not good at all. Because then they went into hiding. These people specialize in separating good and evil. Do's and don'ts. They specialize in religion. Listen to this. The Pharisees is a sect that seems to have started after the Jewish exile. In addition to, in addition to Old Testament books, the Pharisees recognized in oral tradition a standard of belief and life. Something they came up with on their own. They sought for distinction and praise by outward observance of, it, of it, external rites and by outward forms of piety. Wow. Means devotion to God. By out form, outward forms of devotion to God. Outward. And such a ceremonial washings, fastings, prayer, almsgiving, uh, and comparatively negligent of genuine devotion to God or genuine piety. They prided themselves on their fancied good works. See, these religious men were all about judgment and punishment of sin, not forgiveness and deliverance. Listen, judgment and punishment or payment for sin brings death. Forgiveness and deliverance of sin brings life. The church should be bringing life. That means that we got to remove judgment and punishment. And we say that. We believe that in our minds. Some of us even have it in our hearts. But we don't always behave that way. I'm going to be very careful here because I'm going to use the word we because sometimes I think that way too. We still deal with these issues in the church today. We may not be carrying stones in our hands, but listen, we carry some self-righteous and condemnation. We carry self-righteousness and condemnation to throw at those that are living in sin. I'd almost rather be stoned. I mean, by rocks. (laughs) Some of you dudes are like, hey, man, me too, bro. It's not what I mean at all. And we won't judge you for it. We'll condemn you for it. Because you know you were thinking it. I'm not the only one. We forget that we, are, we too lived in sin and needed love, acceptance, and forgiveness to experience true life. The only reason we're experiencing life is because somebody expressed the love of God to us through forgiveness, through acceptance. See, God loves you just like you are. And he loves you too much to leave you there. But if we accept people as they are, then God takes care of the rest. The way that I say it is God made us fishers of men. All he asked us to do is to fish, not fillet them and fry them. Right? Right? We want to catch men, right? Fishers of men. We want to catch men, and then we want to fillet them and fry them. That's not our job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. 
And he does a much better job than all your words and all your fancy, you know, righteousness walking around. It, he does a much better job. We got to learn to let go and trust God with these kinds of people. You know why? Because we were those people too. Last week during VBS celebration service, I, I, they gave me my part, which was uh, the parable of the prodigal son. So I want to read that parable again and reveal a, a different uh, 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 version of it, or, or uh, what, I'm looking for a word, uh, when, a different aspect or a different uh, perspective of it. That's still not the word, but it means the same thing. The context of the prodigal son parable in Luke 15 is important to see. So let's uh, we're going to go to Luke 14, how it ends, and then we're going to pick up, and I'm going to give you a little excerpt of what's in Luke 15 before we get to Luke 15, 11 30 through 32, which is the story of the prodigal son. So you can see the theme and the context in which this is written. And so Luke 14, 34 through 35, it says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. However, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know how he gets away with it, but Rafael, for the special days, he knew I was coming here too when I said the word manure. Um, on special days, Valentine's and, and uh, on his wife's birthday and stuff, he buys her two bags of manure. So uh, it's her favorite gift. So she grows. These people grow. What, what do we got there? Where did she bring us? Oh, my gosh, guayabitas. Guayabitas. So we have little, the little guayabas. And uh, I used to bring them home from that golf course that I used to play at, remember? Hers are better. Hers are better. They, a couple of weeks ago, we had her black beans. She grew black beans in her backyard and gave us some black beans and uh, uh, fresh, and, and so we had those, but uh, he gets away with that because that's what she wants, and if I bought my wife a bag of manure on Valentine's Day, um, not so much, not so much, but here it says that salt is not even, salt that's lost its flavor is not even good enough for manure. When, when salt has lost its flavor, manure takes the top, it, it falls underneath manure. Right? Wow. Let us, Lord, not lose our flavor. So this is how he starts in Luke 14. Now, you know that man has separated the Bible into chapter and verse. Do you know how the Bible was meant to be read? Book by book. So when you read anything out of Luke, Luke read the book of Luke. Because then it's one thought in the whole book. You read Acts, read through the book of Acts, read the whole thing, and you'll get everything in context. Somebody asked me, we were reading, and uh, we brought up uh, the, the thorn in, uh, in Paul's flesh. How many of you know that there's been many, many, many teachings about that? Read it in context. It's clear. It shows you exactly what it is, and I'm not going to tell you, so that way you go home and read it. But read, read where, where that portion is and read it in context. Yeah, read the book and you'll see. But Luke 14, there, and then he, he says this, and, um, and then in Luke 15 begins the parables. He, he talks about parables. I call them the parables of the lost and found, all right? <laughs> if you've left anything in the church, please go to the box in the, in the thing and get your stuff out of lost and found. 
Uh, there's so much stuff in there, we hate throwing it away. So um, in case you lost something and you don't know where it's at, go look in the box. If you need something, a pair of glasses, a Bible, go there and, and take it out of the lost and found. Sippy cups, yeah. Go take one. It's free. Luke 15 begins with the parables of the lost and found. The lost sheep. Remember, he leaves the 99 for the one. The lost coin from the lady's headdress. He had 10, lost one, got her neighbors, they found it. And in both of these, they gathered their neighbors and had a party because they found the lot. Now, these are parables which are heavenly stories with earthly meanings. So it's all about the lost. And it's not talking about a sheep or a coin or a son in this case. It's talking about the lost that are out here that don't go to church. They don't know Jesus. They know about Jesus or they know about God, but they've never started an actual relationship with him. And that's what this portion of scripture is about. So here he goes into Luke 15, 11 through 32. Then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. Listen. So he divided to them his livelihood. So the youngest son goes, hey, give me what's rightfully mine. And the dad, to be just, I don't like using the word fair because God's not fair. He's just. When things happen around you and you see others being blind and stuff, you, you realize that's not fair. Yeah, it may not be fair, but it's just. Because yeah. God is a just God. Not always fair. Because <laughs> he knows what's better for us. So he divided unto them. The father here said, okay, the young son asked, but instead of just giving it to him, I'm going to protect my oldest son from being jealous and having something against me as his father, and I'm going to go ahead and give him what's rightfully his also. That way it's even Stevens. Right, everybody gets what's coming to them, and he can't say anything. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thirteen, and not many days after, so the, the, he had his stuff. He was planning on what he was going to do. The younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That's what prodigal means—to be wasteful, with prodigal living. Fourteen. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, something happened, right? Bing, the little light bulb lit up over his head. But when he came to himself, he said, ha, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? Means his dad was a pretty cool dude, right? Yeah. Took care of his people. Yeah. And I perish here with hunger? I will rise. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, he had it all planned out, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, right? All trying to be holy and right and bow before his father. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose. This is what he was going to say. He had it all planned out. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell at his neck and kissed him. 
Now, you know, this is called, um, where am I? So you guys remind me. Um, 20. I'm going to be reading 21 next. So he's, his son left. He took his inheritance. He spent it all. He's poor, and he's coming down. The, his dad has been waiting for him. So I like to call this parable the parable of the loving father rather than the, par- the parable of the prodigal son because it just, the prodigal son is kind of the negative part of this parable, but the, the part that we need to know is that his father loved him so much. And I started to learn, because I've read this story many times, I started to learn, well, the father, not only did he love him, that's why he every day looked down the road, but because of what he did, he disgraced his father, and when you disgrace your family and turn your back on your family, the entire town turns their back on you. And if you ever come back, they can actually, and I don't know why they like doing this in these times, because we just talked about the assembly of one, they could stone you to death. So when his dad saw him, he was not just because he was happy to see him, but he was rescuing him from the consequence of what was about to happen if somebody in that town found out this kid came back. He disgraced his father. He spent all his money. He's, He's coming back. He looks homeless. He smells. He's been in pig slop. Nobody gave him anything. So he's skinny, smelly. Does not look like one of the, the villagers, one of the people. And they were going to kill him. So his, what he deserved according to the law of the time, his father rescued him yeah. from that. Yeah. Come on, are you catching this? Yeah. 21. And the son said to him, he had it all planned, remember? Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, the father didn't even respond to his son. He already hugged him. He kissed his neck. He he was so excited to see him. The kid starts talking. The father completely ignores him. Sound familiar? But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here to kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry now his older son which we're going to be talking about today was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant And he said to them, your brother has come. And because he was received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. This is a calf that they separated. They kept him, uh, 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 you know, sitting still. Uh, They fed him fatty stuff. They made him, you know, you ever have a good ribeye? It's only good because it has that fat around the outside, you know, or or for you Puerto Ricans, chuleta, chuleta, uh, chuleta can can. Right? They leave the fat all over it and they deep fry it. It's incredible, right? Chicharrón, come on. All right? The, the, the crackling for the, for, for the gringos. Crackling, right? You take it and, and you, you fry it, right? And you eat it. That fat, that's how they were. They had prepared this calf for this purpose and reason, for this moment to eat it because it was going to be the most delicious one they had because they separated it and they made it fat, the fatted calf. 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, here's where his, what your heart is full of, your mouth will speak. 
Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have transgressed. I have. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat. Comparing it to the fatted calf, you never even gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Curry goat is really good. If you know any Jamaicans, have them make it for you with bonnet peppers. Woo. Thirty. But as soon as his, this son of yours came, this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. If the older son would have said, I want the fatted calf, let's throw a party, the dad would have said, let's do it. But he never did. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Wow. We, the church, need to be those that rejoice with the Father when a lost son comes home. No matter what condition they're in. We need to put our stones down. As we learned last week, we saw the Father giving the lost son sandals, a robe, a ring, right? He restored him to sonship. See, sometimes... We want the lost to show up already wearing their sandals, their robe, and their ring. Or they get saved up here, and then they turn around and, oh, he's a new creation. Yes, but he needs a shower. He needs to be washed in the water of the word. He needs to renew his mind. We need to be patient with them. He still smokes. He still drinks. He still cusses. You think God's up there going, oh, he used the F word. Use the S word. He said stupid. <laughs> Our kids used to run in when they were small. They said the S word. What did he say? Stupid. Thought it was another word. You think he's up there like that? He's not. He's not like that. See, the robe was acceptance. We need to give him a robe and accept them. Sandals to be treated as a son and not a slave. A ring teaching them that they too have authority and power. What we do is, I've been in the kingdom. I've been saved for 35 years. I've been in this church for 25 years. How does this person walk in off the street and they get more attention than I do? How come they walk through the door sick and they prayed over them and God healed them right in front of everybody? And I've been here 30 years dealing with this situation and God hasn't done that for me. Everything that I have is yours, said the Father. It's always been yours. Always. Well, you've been waiting at the end of the road this whole time for him, and I've been here. That's right. You've been here with me. You've had everything that I ever did. You can have. And when he asked for his inheritance, I gave you yours too. I didn't even jip you. I I gave it to you too. You can do whatever you want. Talk about free will. A church that is alive 
is a church that saves the lost through forgiveness and deliverance. See, our vision is know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We want people to come and they know God. That they find freedom through this knowledge, through this salvation. That they discover what their purpose is and that they go make a difference. We, I have a little saying that says, if you're saved, you serve. And that little saying that I've said many times and, and, I, and I try to impart into the, our local church here at New Life has caused people to leave because they want to come, they want to sit in the pew, and they don't want to do anything. And if I don't preach a good message, and if we don't have enough musicians up here, or if Ricky doesn't hit the thing right, right, I like to see somebody come up here and play three instruments at the same time and sing. You do that, then you can have a say-so, Right? And we want to criticize everything, and we sit there. We don't serve. We don't do anything. This is not the church for you. Well, you're a pastor. How could you say that? We're small. Listen, if I get a few people to serve, it's better than having 500 people that don't. Because then we're fulfilling the call that God has given us as the church to grow his kingdom and to build his kingdom. We do that through serving. And through giving and through allowing the lost to come through the door. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. It says, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? Who will judge this adulterous woman? In the presence of God and of Christ. You know why it says it that way? Because in the presence of God, he's not judging them. Who are we? When we start judging others, we become greater than God. We're sitting up there because he is God. He's holy. He's never done anything wrong. Never sinned. Spent 33 years on the earth. Right? Never did it. And yet he never. The only ones that he really gave a hard time to and judge were the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. Because they were religious. 2 Timothy 4.8. Right? So who will judge the living and the dead? And in view of his appearing and his kingdom... I give you this charge. Listen. Listen, Linda, listen. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. I try to do that as a pastor. I try to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. i got to work on that. And careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. I think that time has come. Instead, to suit their own desires, in one version it says to suit their own fancies, they will gather around them a, gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Listen, you could create your own doctrine in your head. You can create your own religion in your head. And with the access that we have right now through the internet and social media, you could find those. You've created something that you thought was your own. And you could go on YouTube, you can go on any, and find people that will confirm what you came up with, no matter how messed up it is. No matter how far away from God's heart it is, no matter how far away from the word it is, you could find it out there. That's what it's talking about. We come up with something and then we go and we, this is what I want to hear. Well, how about what you have to hear? They turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Oh boy, do we have those. 
But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We're not called to judge, but to do the work of the evangelist. Even, even if it mean, means ending up with the assembly of one. See, that day there was a church full of people. There was the people that came to hear te- Jesus teach. Just the regular people from the town. And then there were the, the Pharisees and the scribes that showed up with this woman. The church was full of people. And when Jesus ministers this message of forgiveness and no condemnation, there's only one person left. Jesus and one person caused revival. We think revival is when big, huge buildings are being built and and we're, you know, I don't have anything against that. If the people are getting saved in your church and you're growing out of your church, go find a bigger place. I don't have a problem with that. But if we're just doing that and we're calling that revival, you only need one person to repent, one person to come into the kingdom, one person to change their life and to become a new creation. That one person causes revival. One. Look at what John Piper, the founder of Desiring God, said. In the history of the church, the term revival, in its most biblical sense, has meant, to, meant a sovereign work of God in which the whole region of many churches, many Christians have been lifted out of spiritual indifference and worldliness into conviction of sin. He's talking about Christians. Earnest desire for more of Christ and his word. Still talking about Christians. Now, boldness in witness Purity of life, lots of conversions, joyful worship, renewed commitment to missions. These are the fruits of revival. And how do they come? They come by people getting saved. They come by people getting saved. And it affects an entire region. I'm not here to determine what is revival and what isn't. I know we just had uh, the Asbury thing happen, and, and you know, uh, I wrote a, a paper on Azusa Street Revival and, and, uh, and these different things. Those could, I don't know. Those could very, be, very well be revival, and I think that there was some revival happening because people were getting healed. Yeah. People were getting saved. At one point, oh, Lord Jesus. At one point during the Asbury, I, I, I didn't keep a lot up with it, but I would watch little videos here and there, and something came up. And amongst the people that were part of the, the revival that was happening, and this was kind of towards the end. I don't know if it, what's, I haven't heard any more about it, so I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, but, you know, a few months ago, towards the end of this, where it kind of started going away, there was a group of uh, young men and women, or young men, it was three young men, that came up to lead worship. They had talent of playing instruments. And they were part of the revival during the revival. They gave their life to the Lord during the revival. But they lived in the gay lifestyle. And they were together. Some of these, they were partners of each other. 
And all of a sudden, a few weeks later or a month after something happened to them inside that building during the revival, they came up front to lead worship. <gasps> Look at them up there. They've only been Christians a month. They've only given their life. And they still have, it, it appears that their, you know, their mannerisms and the way that they behave, and, and, and they may even still be struggling with some of this stuff. And look, they're up there worshiping. They're going to they're gonna end the revival. Something's going to happen here. God's not going to honor this anymore. This is coming to an end. You know why it's coming to an end? Because of what that person is saying. Because of that attitude of the kids that were there judging the ones that were up front. <clears throat> worshiping the Lord because they gave their life to the Lord, yet they still struggled with some things. <laughs> let the, the one that has no struggles in their life right now throw the first stone. I'll let you throw it at me. Throw the first stone. We're all struggling with something. We all have a weakness with something. We all have something that we wish there wasn't in our life. And when we get rid of that, we find something else. Yeah. It's a lifelong thing that we deal with. We were talking about pride the other day, and somebody said to me, oh, pride, yeah, I've, I've been working on my pride for years, and I've been reading the Scripture and renewing my mind, so I don't deal with pride anymore. You just did. <laughs> that was the most proudest thing you ever said, was the fact that you don't deal with pride. You just did. I've never lied. You just did. Remember the assembly of one? We want revival here when revival's purpose is to go out there. That one's mine. That's not John Piper's, by the way. <laughs> Remember the assembly of one. It was not the religious leaders that were experiencing God's revival, but the one adulterous woman. See, their outward appearance of godliness, remember what we read earlier? Their outward appearance of godliness was based on their works. That is why they judged her and came with stones already in their hands. Revival happens, happened that day in the temple, even if it was just one adulterous woman. God will cause revival and empowering of his people for the work of the ministry if we do the work of the evangelist and put our stones down. So let's put down our stones and allow the lost to see us with open arms. In Romans chapter 2, 1 through 4, it says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you pass judgment, do the same things. You who pass judgment, do the same thing. Now, we know what God's judgment against those uh, uh, who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance? Yeah. We think the pointing of the finger and the judgment and telling them they're going to hell and that the sin in their life is separate. Uh, no, it is the goodness of God that leads them to repentance. And that's the ultimate revival is repentance. You know, the, 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 the switch for revival is repentance. 
when we turn from what we're doing. Because if revival's not happening and God's presence is not there, we need to quit asking God and looking at God and start looking at ourselves. Scott, how can we adjust to become the vessel, the new wineskin that you will pull out this new wine into? But we're stiff and hard, and he pours out the new wine, and it bursts all over the floor. I mean, I couldn't read all that today. I had it in my notes, and I took it out because I knew I wasn't going to have enough time. We want the presence of God so bad. We yearn for it. But we just want to ask and get it. And if we don't, we throw a temper tantrum. And then we have somebody come in out from the outside in the middle of their weaknesses, in the middle of their, right? And they experience the presence of God in such a way. And we look at them and say, oh, I can't believe that. I've been here all this time. I've served. Yes, that's what God's telling you. You've been with me all this time. All the benefits that are mine are yours. Change your heart. Last scripture, James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Not expose. There's churches where if you commit sin and you've been with the church long enough, they make you stand in front of the church and tell everybody what you did. There's churches that if you don't give your tithe, they put your name on a bulletin board in the lobby. They didn't give their tithe this week and their name goes on a bulletin board. Where is God in that? Where is love and acceptance in that? Might as well just put a pile of stones in the lobby and hit them with it when they walk through the door. There they are. There's the name. John Smith. There we are. He didn't give his tithe. Oh, that's horrible, Pastor Rick. We would never do anything like that. Ooh. Yeah, maybe we don't bring stones to church, but man, man, do we bring judgment and sometimes right we do it and sometimes we do it and we have to repent ourselves as a pastor i do it i've done it somebody walked through the door and i feel like it's threatening the sheep here and the shepherd and i take them out front and i'll talk to them and and then i'll send them on their way and i always feel horrible I always feel horrible about it, but I try, and I go, Lord, what do you want me to do with this person? How do you want me to handle this person? You're looking for the perfect church? If you find the perfect church, don't go there, because then it won't be perfect anymore. It won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) We're not perfect here but we're learning to be more like God, loving the lost more like Christ, right? Let's stand to our feet. Let's put down our stones today and do the work of the ministry for the one. Pray for the one. Let's serve the one. Be generous with the one and show God's compassion and love towards the one. If everyone did this with one and brought them here, 
we would be standing room only right now. Everyone brings one. You want, you want revival? Fill the room with the lost. Fill the room with the lost and those that need Jesus. God will be extremely pleased with that. Let me know when you're finished. I don't want to. He's taking a picture of me, so. So I just want to pray for you, and I want to, as your pastor, if you would allow me, I want to send you out into the mission field. See, revival happening in here means that we go out there. Next week, I'm going to talk about the harvest a little bit. Uh, I'm going to try and keep it shorter uh, than this week because I really want an anointing to happen. I really want, we can't do this on our own. We could say all kinds of things. We could do all kinds of things and, you know, by our own mind. We could have plans and, and, and programs and have all these things and people come because of those. But if they already know Christ, all the church is doing is swelling. I don't want the church to swell. I want the church to grow. It's different. If everybody that's already knows Christ goes to a building because of all the programs, then that church, the church itself, the church of Christ, is swollen up over there. I want the lost. Give me the lost. That's my cry to God. Lord, I just pray for these that are here today and those that will be listening to this and watching this later, Father, as, as uh, we post it. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would anoint us and empower us, Lord, to do the work of the ministry, the work of the evangelist. I pray an anointing to be upon these people, Lord, as they go out into the world now and they go outside, Father, that they, Lord, would find purpose in, in everything that they do, Lord, that they would find opportunities in all that they do, Lord, so that they could uh, minister to someone, Lord, or love on someone, Father, uh, and, and show your love and mercy and grace towards the lost, Lord. I thank you for the many that are going to be coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior over this next month, Lord. And in August, Lord, we're going to have a, a, a baptism. There's going to be many uh, people that we don't even know. Brand new people, Lord, new faces starting their walk with the Lord. And we're going to be accepting and loving towards them. So I bless these people and anoint them and empower them to go out and do Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Church podcast. If you're ever in the Central Florida area, consider this a standing invitation for you to join us. We would love to meet you. Services are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If this message blessed you, imagine what it would be like in person. Keep up with everything going on at New Life on our website, orangecitychurch.com. New Life Bible Church, you will never be the same.